0: It seemed like down the stretch, essentially, Vanderbilt was just fouling you instead of letting you do anything. When a team takes that strategy,
1: make a free throw. All right. You do
0: it? Hey, man! The meatloaf! We
1: want it now! What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Go Balls 24 7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. On a relatively pleasant, relatively pleasant Wednesday night here in Knoxville. Actually, we're going to be bringing this to you on Thursday morning. So, hope you're having a great Thursday morning. Right now is Wednesday night as we are recording this, guys. It's been a uh, an interesting week for Tennessee basketball. Mostly a mostly a good week, I think. A lot more a lot more good than bad since we recorded our last weekly hoops podcast. Tennessee has played three games losing at Mizzou to Conzo Martin and his Tigers in a tough one over there in Columbia. Tennessee's backcourt played like garbage and and Tennessee got the loss it probably deserved in that game. Uh, And then the Vols go out there and play really, really well. Their best game, I think, in a while. Uh, And a nice win at South Carolina, going basically coast to coast in that game. That was a a really tough environment that day. Uh, That was one of the, the better wins I've seen Tennessee get on the road I think, in a while in a more hostile environment, 18,000 people screaming at them for 40 minutes, and uh, they held on. And and Actually, a lot of times I thought they were going to lose that game, but they held on and won that game, Uh, so kudos to them for that. And Then the 22nd-ranked Vols uh, hosted Vandy, uh, or as we like to call it, the I-40 Derby, the Interstate 40 Derby uh, between Tennessee and Vanderbilt, uh, if we're using the uh, Premier Soccer League lingo, which we – on this staff, Uh, most of our staff, at least a majority of us, Grant Ramey and uh, Patrick Brown and myself are all uh, big soccer fans. So we call Tennessee Vandy the I-40 Derby. And Tennessee played one of its best defensive halves of the season in the first half against Vandy uh, and then played like a whole bunch of garbage on fire in the second half. But the Vols did just enough, got a big three ball from Lamonte Turner they're late in the game uh, with about a minute to go and ended up beating Vanderbilt 67-62. to 62. Vols are now 14-5 and five overall, 5-3 five in the SEC. Uh, I think tied for third place in the league standings as we've recorded this. Maybe maybe tied for second. I'll have to go back and look. But I think uh, they're, the bottom, bottom line is Tennessee's won five of its past six and is now close to the top of the SEC standings. Uh, Tennessee's ranked 22nd in the AP poll, 21st in the coaches poll. Eight consecutive weeks, Tennessee has been ranked in both major polls. And Tennessee's been ranked between 19 and 24 the entire time. So uh, some consistency there from the Vols, who are ranked top 15 also uh, in the Ken Palm rankings, I believe, and in the uh, official NCAA RPI rankings. So a lot to talk about. Uh, Tennessee with the past three games and then uh, a big stretch run coming up here. A big weekend for Tennessee playing in the SEC Big 12 Challenge going to Iowa State there in uh, lovely Ames, Iowa. Or as it's uh, as it's called, the smart choice. That's what it calls itself as a town, the the smart choice. Uh, and I am making a smart choice to make Ramy go to that game by himself. So, uh, speaking of Grant Ramy, he and I sat down just a minute ago. Uh, me here from Fort Rucker Studio, and him uh, down there at Goval's Twenty Four Sevens, uh, Blount County Satellite Office down there in Maryville. And uh, he and I talked a little Tennessee basketball for our weekly podcast. So. Guys, uh, enjoy it. This is Ramey and I talking a little uh, Vols Hoops. Well, Grant, it's been, uh, I guess, about a a week since we've done this because, you know, we do this weekly, so let's use some common sense there. It's been a week since we've done this. Uh, Tennessee has played three games since then. The Vols Hoops team has uh, lost to Mizzou on the road, lost to Conzo Martin's Mizzou Tigers, but then bounced back with a, a couple of nice wins and really three really good halves of basketball followed by uh, kind of a craptacular second half, but it was enough uh, for Tennessee to hold on and beat Vandy after winning at South Carolina uh, on Saturday. So so kind of where is this team right now? We know the record, we know the particulars, but, but where is this team right now?
0: Uh, it's weird to say when a team has won five of their last six and uh, has been ranked for a couple months now and has been somewhat consistent uh, in the big picture, but it still feels like they're trying to find kind of a rhythm, uh, kind of... Uh, kind of, I guess, settle on a rotation at this point with the the guys that have kind of shuffled in and shuffled out over the last couple of weeks. Uh, that's kind of the bad news. The good news is they keep winning ball games despite uh, the fact that they're still kind of trying to... I think they've established their identity. They want to be a, a really good defensive team and uh, a pretty efficient offensive team, and, and you know who they want to go through, uh, Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, and, and go from there and play inside out, but it still feels like they're trying to find uh, kind of their groove, I guess. Uh, I don't think by any means they've played their best basketball, uh, but they're, you know, a top 15 RPI team almost through, what, 20 games now? 19?
1: Uh,
0: yeah. So you're closing in on, on kind of the final stretch run of, of the season once you get past this Big 12 challenge, and, you know, you close with, what, 10 more SEC games left, something like that. So uh, there's a lot of stuff you can pick apart, but they keep winning ball games, and, and they're putting themselves in a really good position uh, for uh, March.
1: Yeah, that, that's the, the, kind of one of the fascinating things is that this team is, I mean, you look at it, it could be playing so much better than it is, but there is value in winning, and, and it does keep winning, so uh, that kind of glosses over some of the things that are not going well. But, you know, it, it's, I still think it's a good thing that this team is, is winning without playing its best because it's hard to learn sometimes. Sometimes you learn more from a loss than a win, but there's value in grinding it out, right?
0: Oh yeah, and and you don't want to be playing your best basketball in January. Uh, I mean, look back to last season; uh, they won those four games kind of late in January. That was the best basketball they played all year. They they fell off a cliff after that, and at that point they were kind of considered a outside bubble shot uh, bubble team, kind of uh, trending towards that. If they kept playing their best basketball, and they didn't, so I mean, uh, it's obvious you want to you want to be playing your best uh, early March going into to you know, conference tournaments and, and I think the ESPN basketball power index, whatever gave Tennessee like a 99.9% chance of, of making the NCAA tournament. So it feels like at this point you're playing more so for seating than uh, uh, playing, you know, in or out. Uh, so they, they've put themselves in a good position without playing their best basketball. Now you want to start trending towards uh, figuring everything out, kind of fine tuning everything over this last stretch run of the regular season and then really start playing your best uh, towards the end.
1: And and one of the most fascinating developments, I I think, of the past week is that, you know, we've said this all year long that – I know we've said this all year long that that we know pretty much what we're going to see from Tennessee's front court. You know, different guys might step up at different times, but but by and large, you know what you're getting from Grant Williams. You know most of the time what you're getting from Admiral Schofield. This Tennessee team, when it's the point guards, when the point guards are playing well – this Tennessee team takes it to another level. And I think Tennessee becomes a really, really dangerous team when that happens. And despite guys like Jordan Bone and and James Daniel maybe not having the best week, you know, someone else has stepped up. Welcome back, Lamonte Turner steps up big time at at South Carolina, scores a game high or career high, 25 points, I should say. And then uh, I think almost the more important development is a couple days later when they're playing Vanderbilt, This is a guy who was allergic to defense for the early part of his Tennessee career. And when Riley LeChance got going for Vandy and hit those four quick threes in the second half, and really Vandy started making a push, Lamonte Turner wanted to go guard him. He asked Rick Barnes, can I go guard this guy? And he does that, and then he slows him down a little bit, but Vandy still kind of chips away. And then, lo and behold, Lamonte Turner, with Tennessee only up two points heading into the final minute, He'd only had four points so far in the game, and he stepped up and hit just a dagger three-pointer. And for a guy who'd been working really hard on defense and hadn't had maybe the best night offensively, to step up and do that, I love that about Lamonte Turner. This kid is not scared. We've talked about this before, that without Mostella there, the guy who will do that is Lamonte Turner, and he will drive you crazy sometimes, but I think in the past week he's played some really good basketball.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he carried them at South Carolina, obviously. Uh, when you score 25 points, you, you go 10 for 10 from the line. And and he was that, that guy, that guard on the floor with the ball in the sand in those final six minutes when when Barnes said he took a full timeout and said, we're finishing the game with you guys on the floor. Uh, you know, we're going to live or die by you guys and, and go from there. I think it was a, maybe a two-point game or something like that. And, and Lamonte Turner had a couple of those possessions where it kind of got late in the shot clock and he just kind of created something. Uh, whether it was a a mid-range jumper uh, something like that or or whether he kind of forced himself to the rim and and drew contact and got to the line and and he was you know 10 for 10 from the free throw line in that game and i think he was two for eight against vanderbilt before he put up that three with uh, i think it was a minute three left yep and it was a it was down to a one possession game obviously and and that three is yeah i mean that's that's the definition of a dagger and he's never been afraid of it but yeah his his focus is uh defensive he's he's moved back on the ball i mean barnes talked a lot about you know depth and how many options this team has at, at different positions it's it's obviously pretty deep at point guard uh when you can have james daniel you can have jordan bone who started what 17 to 19 games right now and now you're just kind of trending towards lamonte turner putting the ball in his hand saying set the tone defensively and, and let your offensive game come from there and, and it's it really looks good i mean lamonte's he, he's looked really good at times. I mean, you go back to Georgia Tech, the way he played over there, and, and he's looked really frustrating at times when you go kind of down the stat sheet and see how many games where he was you know, two for 11, two for 10, three for 10, whatever. But but he's played well these, this last uh, couple of games, and, and his team has, has needed him badly.
1: And, and, you know, when you're not scoring, it helps if you're doing other things. And Lamonte Turner is now starting to play better defense, and really he's starting to take much better care of the basketball. I know he had those two possessions in a row right there at South Carolina where he turned the ball over and he looked like oh no this is we had just started praising him and now here he goes he's going to go full Lamonte again Uh, but then he 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 changes it kind of takes better care of the ball tightens up a little bit and he's starting to do other things now that when he's not scoring he's helping the team which uh, everyone who who knows Tennessee basketball for the past couple years knows that that's not always been Lamonte Turner's strong suit so you know if if bone's going to continue to be erratic and drive me absolutely crazy with his shot selection which i just don't understand most of the time full disclosure uh, and you you don't know what you're going to get out of daniel every night if lamonte turner will step up and, and kind of really take charge and be the guy right now i think that's tennessee needs needs someone to emerge from that point guard group as a guy who when when it's you know nut cutting time when you got to go get it done at the end of a game a guy that you trust on the floor and it hadn't always been bone for Tennessee in those situations it's been Daniel some and and lately it's been Turner and you know sometimes it's been Daniel and Turner he's kind of played both both of them at the same time and I think those two guys click together pretty well so whatever it takes they got to get something out of that point guard position because this team is good enough to win everywhere else.
0: Yeah, and and Barnes says over and over and over, he don't really care who starts the game. Uh, He cares who finishes. Well, right now Jordan Bone's starting, and it feels like uh, Lamonte Turner and James Daniel are finishing. So uh, I was kind of curious to see if he would do anything in terms of shuffling the the starting lineup in the backcourt before Vanderbilt, but he he stuck with the same five guys he's had for, uh, it feels like, just about every game this season. Maybe they they stick with that. But uh, it would be interesting to see, I think, uh, to start Lamonte uh, at point guard uh, you know, from the start of the game and, and see what happens if that affects the game uh, from the start. I mean, Tennessee hadn't been a terribly slow starting team. There wasn't a ton of energy against Vanderbilt for whatever reason there in the first little bit. It wasn't, wasn't really good basketball on either end of the floor uh, in that first half. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting if, if he kind of sticks with this, you know, bone starts and Turner finishes or if he kind of rolls the dice and, and sees what happens if he switches up to a James Daniel or a Lamonte Turner to start and, and see if that changes anything.
1: You know, I think it'd be hard to – I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, that during that South Carolina game, Tennessee has – that was one of the toughest environments I've seen Tennessee win on the road in a long time, and the way that it happened, because Tennessee built that nine-point lead maybe midway through the first half, and we were both there in Colonial Life Arena, granted, it was sold out. That's a Final Four team last season. They've got some basketball buzz now in Columbia, South Carolina. They were there in force. And it seemed like for those final 30 minutes, that crowd just kept trying and trying and trying to push South Carolina, you know, back into a tie and then take the lead. And and, and Carolina tied the game twice, and it just felt like it was on a razor's edge, really high intensity, you know, almost kind of tournament-style intensity there for 30 minutes. And Tennessee held on. And when I look back at it, that's just really, really impressive because you, you kind of lose sight of it during the game when you're covering it. Um, but then you think about it as soon as the whistle ends, and, and I don't know what's going through your mind. I'm getting ready to ask you. But in my head, I was thinking, I, I don't know the last time I saw Tennessee go to a place this hostile and, and, and play in an environment like this and walk out with a win.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, the, the evidence you need, Florida goes to Kentucky that same night, Saturday night, and wins. And I think they're 6-1 uh, and one in the league, and then they go back to Gainesville and they lose to South Carolina at home. Uh, by five. I mean, that's kind of the SEC in a nutshell, but it's also kind of, you know, how good that South Carolina team can be at times, and Tennessee kind of went down there and and kind of took their best shot over and over. I mean, it felt like it was a seven or eight point lead a lot of times, and then it would get down to two, uh, get down to one, something like that, and then Tennessee would kind of have a little 5-0 run right there, but yeah, uh, the way they closed, I mean, this, this team obviously has had struggles holding on to leads the last couple seasons really uh, more so last year than this year in terms of, you know, giving up double digit leads. I think sometimes it's it's been maybe a nine or eight point lead they've given up this season, but you got to learn to, you got to learn to close. And this team has been a, a, a fairly decent road team. I mean, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest uh, should have won at Arkansas. Uh, Could have won at Missouri. If if you get anything out of your backcourt and then you go to South Carolina and kind of put the pieces together and, and win a really big game. But yeah, that's a game that uh, later in the season, I think pays dividends because uh, like you said, that's that's a really good that's a good environment. I mean, eighteen thousand in that building. it's a it's a, like you said, basketball buzz. I, I don't think I've ever been in an arena where there's a more annoying uh, three point call by the public address announcer after the home team makes a three. that, yeah, recording, that thing And I'm just sitting there. I'm just sitting there trying to watch the game. I mean, I can't imagine uh, putting up with that on the floor, but yeah, that's. Uh, that's a win that, that down the road, I think you look back and, and that's, a, that's something where they maybe prove something to themselves that they're a really tough basketball team. and then they they take
1: what Rick Barnes I think accurately called the most complete defensive performance of the season since the the win against Purdue down in the Bahamas, and, and you go into that Vanderbilt game and, and you spend the first part of that Vanderbilt game really really ba- you know kind of building on that you know Tennessee didn't let Vanderbilt breathe in the first half. Uh, it just Vanderbilt didn't crack the 20 point mark uh there in the first half and then just the gates from hell just open up in the second half and Vandy puts up like a 60 spot almost or something on Tennessee it felt like it was just a brutal second half and what in the world happened was it just a case of you let Riley Lachance get hot and then things kind of snowball from there or, or what was it because I don't think it was just that because I saw him get beat down the floor a couple times there, there's no question that Lachance is a great shooter. And, you know, Vandy Vandy had missed, I think, 17 consecutive three-pointers, and then he hits four quick ones, and then, bam, all of a sudden it's a ball game. And Tennessee just – I know that gave Vandy juice, those three-pointers, but when you're up 20 at home, you you can't let the other team get to a a point where it's got the ball in a two-point deficit with a chance to tie or take the lead. You just can't let that happen.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if, if Tennessee kind of fell asleep because Vanderbilt had missed. I mean, it's it's crazy to even go back and say it. I mean, they missed 17 straight three-point attempts. 17 straight, and then Riley, the chance, finds a way to hit four straight. Uh, it felt like in the matter of 60 seconds. I mean, whatever he was doing in the second half, he I think he had 23 after halftime. All 23 of his points were in the second half. Uh, anything, it felt like anything he was throwing up, whether it was a mid-range a jumper. It was a it was a runner on the baseline. It was it was a three with somebody in his face. So, you know, step back three, whatever. Uh, it was going down, and I think Barnes was right uh, to a certain degree to credit Vanderbilt over and over. I mean, sometimes just the other team just makes shots and and, True. and, and executes on offense and and just beats you up. I mean, Vanderbilt was doing what it wanted uh, at the rim too, right there in that stretch where they were. You know, I think they outscored Tennessee thirty to fourteen or something like that to get back. In the game, and, and I think it gets to the point where when you're up 20 and you've been able to kind of take your foot off the gas a little bit, uh, once it gets down to 14, once it gets down to 12, 10, 8, I think it becomes a head game. I mean, uh, you're you're kind of on your heels at that point trying to trying to get back to what you were doing. And, and let's face it, Bowden was kind of the one that, that bailed them out in that first half. I think he had 11, uh, and they were up 17, something like that. And And he didn't score a ton after the 18-minute mark. Uh, in the second half, when when Vanderbilt started making that run, but uh, the players called it what they called it after the game—a little bit of immaturity, a little bit of uh, not gritty enough, not kind of you know that enough of that killer instinct or whatever. But uh, that's that's kind of where it gets back to. This team's not by far not playing its best basketball of the year. Uh, can play a lot a lot better brand of basketball, a lot more complete uh, brand of basketball, which is, it's not hurting them right now because they're winning. Uh, if that changes, it changes. But uh, the fact is they, they've survived really the meat of their SEC schedule was that opening seven-game stretch. Uh, the, the numbers kind of tell the story when you go back and look at all the RPIs they got left on the schedule and, and the RPIs they've played. So they have found ways to win, uh, even if it is a 20-point lead going down to two and, and finding a way to survive. Yeah, here's what I don't get about that. Well, there's a lot of things I don't get about it, to be honest.
1: But one of the things that that, that drives me probably the craziest is these guys keep saying this, and and they're not wrong. These guys know basketball. With the exception of Kyle Alexander, they've been playing this game basically since they could walk. And when they're not playing basketball, they're watching basketball on film, or or they're watching an NBA game. Or you know, basketball is so much of of who these guys are, just as people. So they know the game inside and out, and they know that the other team, the opponent, is going to make a run. Usually, when you have got a team down by you know double digits. Unless that team is just some mid-major nobody, Division two team or something like that, you've got to think these guys are going to make a run at some point. Basketball is a game of runs; they're going to do that, and it just seems like when it starts happening, you got to respond to that. And that's what I don't understand is to me the little chance three pointers. Hey, that's gonna happen. He hit some tough shots and and he got his head up and, and that happens with good shooters sometimes. But them getting beat down the floor a couple of times for layups and Roberson beating him off the dribble, that's the part to me that's inexcusable. And what I can't figure out for the life of me is how Grant Williams is not getting more rebounds. He said it's just a, a deal where, you know, he 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 usually boxes his guy out and clears him out, and then somebody else comes in and gets the ball. And that's fine. Major Wingate used to do that for Tennessee. That that's that's an important role. But he's also got to go get the ball, and he's just not doing that. And he's got a, a a grand total of five rebounds in the past two games, and no more than five in any of the past four games. And it's weird because he's so good offensively, and he does so many things, and Tennessee relies on him so much. A great shot blocker, you know. He's an SEC Player of the Year candidate, but he's got to rebound the basketball.
0: Yeah, and it's not really a new development either. I mean, he struggled a lot. It got called out a lot for rebounding or lack of rebounding last year. Uh, as much as he means to this team, I mean, you, you can't not play the kid uh, just based on, on, you know, like you said, he could be a SEC Player of the Year candidate uh, as a sophomore. Uh, so you're going to play him. It's just, just a matter of, you know, you can talk about rebounding until you're blue in the face as a coach. Uh, do stuff in practice on rebounding. I mean, they have they have really physical practices uh, any time they get out-rebounded to kind of send that message that, uh, like they say in practice, you're not going to win a reaching contest with a lot of teams because of how undersized you are. But, I mean, it's it's kind of like the, the everybody's going to make a run thing. I mean, you, you don't stop it until you just start stopping it. I mean, it's not really easy or difficult to explain because, I mean, they can do it. They're obviously a good enough basketball team to do it. It's just they have to step up and do it. Uh, that's, I mean, when you ask Barnes, what, you know, what do they got to do to do certain stuff, like rebounding, like stop these runs, he says they just got to do it. I mean, that's, a, that's as far as the explanation goes. He's a capable rebounder because of uh, because of his wingspan, because of his leaping ability, because of uh, the way he can use his uh, strength in the paint to move, move uh, the opposition around. It's just a matter of doing it.
1: Yeah, and and it's not just him in fairness because uh, you look at the common denominator in so many of these Tennessee losses, uh, when Tennessee is losing games or when Tennessee's in a rut, uh, you know, if it's just a little five, six-minute stretch during a game, it's offensive rebounds that they're giving up, it's second-chance points, it's on the glass. That's where it's happening. And you see this time and time again that this team, if you've got two Achilles heels that you're worried about, one very clearly, number one with the bullet is the point guard situation. When those guys are really good, this team is really really good. And when they're when they're just okay, uh, this team is just okay. It it, it kind of it, it it goes with them. Uh, and I know you're assuming that that Williams and Schofield are going to keep playing well, but I, I think it's fair to assume that at this point that they're going to keep playing well unless they're hurt or, or anything like that. So or foul trouble. Uh, but when you look at the guard, that that's the one thing. And the other thing. It's the glass when Tennessee and the weirdest thing is that Tennessee is a team that sometimes is really, really, really good on the offensive glass. So Tennessee should know that a team can kill you on the offensive glass because they do it to opponents. And then it happens to them and you go, guys, you should know this, you know, you you should know. Now, sometimes it's a three pointer and that's going to be a long rebound, especially when you're playing a team like Auburn that, that just kind of, you know, chucks and ducks it. But you got to go get the ball, and, and when this team is having those little lulls, and when this team loses games, when this team gets in trouble, it's on the offensive glass.
0: Yeah, I mean, go back to Texas A and M. What did what did they give up in that game? Like six offensive rebounds, something like that. Uh, they didn't give up a ton, and they didn't really play their best offensive basketball that game. I mean, it wasn't a by any means a complete you know forty minutes of basketball on both ends of the floor, but they didn't give up a ton of. Uh, rebounds despite the length and you know, size athleticism of texas a and m and they kind of controlled that game i mean that was that one felt much more in control for you know most of the game 37 38 minutes whatever tennessee led uh than than vanderbilt did and, and it comes back to second chance buckets and, and getting those offensive rebounds and and yeah when they uh, as much as guard plays a factor i mean you you win at missouri if your guards can do anything besides you know turner bowden and and bone combining to go two for 19 i mean that happens and you lose that game by four if if they score you win that game pretty easily uh a lot of these games if they just limit the offensive rebounds to to six eight whatever uh it's a much much more comfortable uh i mean you're 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 in control wire to wire in in some of those games especially home games like kind of like they were against texas a&m so if they can if they can find some consistency there, that's the word that Barnes says over and over and over about just about everything on this basketball team is is finding consistency. Uh, if they can do it, they can be a really good basketball team. But right now they're just kind of uh, wandering a little bit despite uh, how they keep winning games. Yeah, and you go back to that,
1: you know, e- even that South Carolina game, as comprehensively good as that defensive performance was, you know, South Carolina had a chance there with like three or four offensive rebounds on the same possession late in the game. And if those tips had gone the other way or if one of those shots had gone down, this is a totally different podcast we're having right now. And and it's situations like that where you just wonder, you know, to me, this team's going to get to the point down in the postseason where SEC tournament, NCAA tournament – and I think it just you can almost it's almost like you see it coming a mile away where it's a team that's going to get some of those offensive rebound kick out three pointers that's going to kind of end Tennessee's season because it's just that seems like where this thing is trending. But credit this team, I mean, this is the crazy thing about this team. We're talking about all these things that could be better and we're talking about a team that's 14-5 and overall, 5-3 and in the SEC, I think tied for for second or third in the SEC right now, and and a team that is in the top 15 of the Ken Palm rankings, the RPI. You know, we're talking about a really good basketball team, and it could do so many things better. So it's not really a negative thing. You're just saying, hey, as good as it's been, it it could be even better.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're not playing your best basketball. And and of their five losses, I mean, how many are, you know, could have been, should have been kind of games. I mean, North Carolina, uh, Arkansas, um, Auburn beat them up pretty good, but still that's a fourteen a game you, you had a 14-point lead. That, I mean, they were up 15 against Villanova in the first half. I mean, if you look at some of these stretches of basketball, uh, the first half against Villanova uh, kind of hanging on and finding a way to win in overtime against Purdue, uh, the way they played early against Auburn, the way they played for, you know, 37 minutes at Arkansas – there's a lot of really good stretches of basketball. Uh, it's just the uh, it's the really bad lapses of basketball, uh, even if they don't lose a game, that, that's that's concerning. And it feels like, and I can't remember who I was talking about this with the other day, it feels like this team could make a run in March. I mean, it feels like they could be a second weekend NCAA tournament team, or they could be a team that just has a disastrous first round game. And it's one and done in the tournament. it feels like almost like there's kind of no gray area there. It feels like it's going to be one thing or the other. and I think that comes from uh, these stretches where you see these guys play really, really good basketball uh, and these stretches where you just can't figure these guys out
1: yeah that that's uh, I'll go even further than that grant if they get the right tournament the uh, right bracket and this team does what it can possibly do or what it could do if it plays near its best, you could be looking at a team like South Carolina last season. Uh, you could be looking at a team that that makes a run to the elite, Eight, maybe even the Final Four. I, I've said that, and people look at me like I'm crazy. I, I've just not seen this team be physically overmatched all season, and this team has played a lot of really good teams. Uh, this team, with the right draw and with the right, you know, kind of flow at the right time, this team could be special. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be cutting down nets or anything. I'm not going that far, but I'm saying that. I, I mean, I think you're looking at one of the potentially one of the better basketball teams in the country. And I thought this team would be pretty good. Uh, I didn't know it would be ne- didn't be necessarily this good, but I thought this team could be pretty darn good, and it is. And one of the reasons why this team keeps winning games is different guys keep stepping up. And in the past week, you know, I love this about Barnes, there is no such thing as a set rotation with him. He's pretty much been starting the same five guys, but if you're not practicing well, if you're not doing what you need to be doing in the game, he, he will just not play you. He'll, he'll take someone else, and he's got 12, 13 guys on this team that can play, and he'll go play him. And in the past week, he's changed up the rotation. After that Mizzou game, he changed it pretty drastically uh, by throwing in uh, Eve Ponds there into – the spot previously occupied by Jalen Johnson and Chris Darrington in the rotation. And then he, he starts giving Derek Walker the minutes that have been going to John Fulkerson. And even in some situations, some of Kyle Alexander's minutes and, and Derek Walker has been fantastic in the past couple of games. He in 25 minutes against South Carolina, he, he had a career high 10 points and four rebounds and then turns around the next game and just 17 minutes off the bench against Vanderbilt. He, he puts up five points and six rebounds and, it seemed like four of those six rebounds were really, really impressive rebounds. Uh, this kid, this is the guy that they were talking about in Europe this summer. I think this is the guy who, you know, could be could be a really special player. And, and I, I I like the fact that he that Barnes will not hesitate to change things up. and And I got a great quote from Derek Walker after the game when he flat out told me, uh, I said, you know, you've probably not been on the bench much in your life, have you? And he kind of laughed and he said, no. And I asked him about having to earn it and, and what that's made it mean to him and, and how long he needed to to kind of take to understand that. And he said that he's learned that Rick Barnes is a fair man and that if you earn your minutes in practice, if your performance during a game warrants those minutes, he'll he'll go give you those minutes. And if you're helping the team win, he's gonna he's gonna put you in there. And if you're not, he's not.
0: Yeah, and to continue kind of the the negative, cynical uh, aspect of this podcast w- why hasn't this experiment happened sooner uh, i Fair mean F- uh, fulkerson uh bless his heart he's he's not productive he hasn't been productive he wasn't kind of showing any progress towards uh, kind of being his old self or even a shell of his you know kind of his old self what he showed uh, in those 10 games as a freshman and and here comes here comes walker and it, and it did kind of start in those what, nine minutes at Purdue when he scored four points and, and had a rebound, he did, he basically he didn't turn the basketball over. It felt like in, in previous games he'd play two minutes and he'd have three turnovers somehow, uh, almost like he was kind of trying to to play outside yeah, himself. Yeah, Kentucky
1: and, was three and three minutes. That was impressive. That was impressive work right there, three turnovers in yeah, three minutes. Yeah, I mean, minutes. it
0: felt like he was trying to do so much in, in the little amount of time that he had on the floor, uh, like he was trying to turn heads really quickly. And, and obviously – earn his playing time. Uh, It it does feel like over the last couple of weeks, it's almost like Rick is kind of experimenting with these, these bench guys and and seeing what he gets out of them. And and maybe trying to kind of stash away a little bit of experience now and kind of a little bit better understanding of what you're going to get from these guys when it is February, March, whatever. But, but I mean, you look at the last three games for Derek, obviously uh, 19 points uh, he's taken nine shots. He's made eight of them. Uh, 11 rebounds. I mean, he's been extremely effective. Uh, Obviously the stuff he did at South Carolina. I mean, he, he can be a, he's not a game changer, but he, he is a, to get that kind of production from him, just, I mean, he had, I think four offense or four rebounds, not offensive, four total rebounds in the first five minutes against Vanderbilt. I mean, that's huge uh, from, from a guy like him. And he goes from somebody that's, that's never playing to somebody that's the first guy off the bench and, and playing 17 minutes against Vanderbilt. So, yeah, he's he's playing with the rotation for whatever reason, but it does feel like an experiment. And uh, right now you need to keep on this Derek Walker experiment and keep seeing if he takes a step forward. So he, did, he did take a step forward uh, from South Carolina to Vanderbilt.
1: Yeah, and he's so comfortable with the ball in his hands right now too, which is something that you just didn't see earlier in the season. And you can kind of see that he's he's he feels like maybe by taking playing time away from him and then making him feel like he earned it back, maybe that gives him more confidence you know you know Barnes has been doing this for a long time he probably knows how to handle most of these guys maybe the way that he handled it uh, was the right way to do it and, and I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna defend him on this I completely understood why Rick Barnes kept trying the Fulkerson experiment now maybe he tried it too long and I think that's a very fair point and that might be a hundred percent correct but they needed one more big guy and they they really needed a guy when they're playing there against those those you know when teams try to you know zone him and do some other things or when teams are really pressing him high Fulkerson can get to the top of the key get the ball and he's a really good distributor and that's a really important thing in this offense so I understood why he thought if he threw Fulkerson out there that Fulkerson would just kind of eventually get back on track and look like himself and and he just you know the fact is he spent 10 months with one arm or the other in a sling and, and physically he's not what he was and what he will be again he still can't you know, completely stretch out one of his arms, which I think is sort of important when you're playing basketball. So he needs another year. I I think he needs a really good offseason under Garrett Meadenwald there uh, in in the strength and conditioning program. I'm not ready to give up on Fulkerson uh, for his career. He's just a redshirt freshman. Uh, He's a really good athlete, and I think he's going to be fine uh, in time. But I understood why Barnes did that, but I completely – completely agree that putting Walker in for him now, uh, that should be the way it is going forward. And Unless Walker comes in and gets hurt or comes in and, and, you know, it becomes a head case, you know, turns the ball over a lot. I think that this is a guy who can give you some good minutes and, and, and you're throwing a, you know, kind of a long guy like Alexander out there and his athleticism. And then you bring in a big bruiser, like Walker and you're throwing different looks at the opponent and I, I just I like this kid a lot I think he could be a really nice player
0: yeah I mean they they went and they went and found this kid and signed him because he has a body type and a and kind of a physical game that they don't really have on this roster uh, six whatever he is six eight, 238 something like that the, the physical brand of basketball he plays I mean they've got some they've got some big bodies I mean Kyles 611 but he's more of the rim protector role. Uh, grant 6'6 and can move people around but I don't think he's going to play as physical as Derek Walker plays and I think maybe it was something where you know Derek just gets a couple of those shots to fall early at South Carolina and it kind of starts to click that you know I'm good enough to play at this level I can hang with these guys he had that really big uh, baseline dunk there the late in the first half at South Carolina I think when these guys kind of get that little taste of that and that confidence that they can stick with these guys at this level uh, something changes for them and and yeah, I agree with Fulkerson. I mean, he was he was kind of forcing the issue there, looking for that next big man, and and thinking it was going to be John. And there was just no uh, progress there, like we talked about. But the the, the crazy thing is, is how quickly, uh, kind of in the moment, you know, whatever the society is where you want to write people off. I mean, John Fulkerson's a redshirt freshman. Uh, he's got a lot of basketball in front of him. If he doesn't do anything for the next calendar year except lift weights, I mean, he's he's got. Uh, he, I mean, he's got his sophomore, junior, and senior year to to play good basketball, uh, and develop his game and, and get and back he's to that sport physicality. And he's king sport tough. And he's, and he's tough. tough. He's, he's he's smelt the Eastman all his life. He can he can handle some adversity. <laughs> uh, but I mean I mean that's the crazy thing is is you know it's it's understandable that this team has kind of. Uh, you know, had really good spurts of basketball and some really bad lapses of basketball, I mean, the guys that that do the majority of the work are a sophomore and a junior, and it's like those guys are supposed to be the veterans. I mean, this is this is a really, really young basketball team when you step back and look at it, and, and it's a team that uh, the longer they keep playing like this, the more ahead of schedule they feel like. And if, if Derek Walker keeps playing like this, uh, that's another step ahead of the schedule uh, for him uh, and what he can provide them and, and changes a lot of, of what they're going to do down low. Got a
1: couple more things before we get out of here, guys. We're going to get to, uh, obviously, we're going to, we're going to get to your questions at the end, like we're going to start doing for every podcast now. We've got uh, four or five good ones lined up from from people on the Go Vols 24-7 uh, checkerboard that we will get to. Uh, but first, we do need to mention this weekend, Tennessee's last uh, non-SEC game or out-of-conference game of the season, the Vols are taking part again in the annual Big 12 SEC Challenge, and the Vols have a a game against an interesting opponent and a really tough place to play sometimes. they got to go to Ames, Iowa, uh, and play Iowa State, which is maybe not the, you know, the Hoiberg, Iowa State that's, you know, maybe a ranked top five or top ten nationally. This team's kind of been struggling a little bit. But uh, this Iowa State team can be pretty good because, you know, it did open the season at home or lost to Missouri by 15 points and then lost to Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Shout out Bruce Pearl at home by 18 points. Uh, not so good, uh, and then it won about ten straight games, and and now it's kind of dropped to two and six in the Big Twelve. But two of those losses are overtime losses, and another loss was at Kansas at at Kansas by five points, uh, and then just last week it beat then eighth ranked Texas Tech by eighteen points at home. So this is a team that's a little bit erratic. Um, but this is a tough place to play, and and this is a big weekend for Tennessee because this SEC Big 12 Challenge uh, could have a big factor in, in seeding for the NCAA tournament. You know, it's just one game, but it's a rare moment in the middle of conference play to kind of b- help the resume for your conference. And, and Tennessee's done a solid for the SEC this season with its strength of schedule and uh, every tough game that it's played and some of the games that it's won beating Purdue helped the entire conference. It's one of those kind of rising tide lifts all boats deals. Um, but this is a big weekend for Tennessee, and this is a really interesting opponent.
0: Yeah, and when you go down your their schedule, I mean, you read some of those games off. It just doesn't make a ton of sense. I mean, uh, they beat Emporia State in an exhibition at home by 9. I mean, that's that's not very good. I mean, you lose to Milwaukee by 18 at home. Uh, go down the list here, they beat Maryland Eastern Shore, which I would never heard of until I just read that. They beat them by 6 at home. Uh, they had lost four straight in the Big 12, and then they beat Baylor by 10 at home. Uh, they lose to Kansas by five uh, in Lawrence. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't make a ton of sense. And then they beat Texas Tech uh, by 18. They beat them soundly uh, in Ames. And, yeah, it's it's a it's a notoriously tough place to play. And, and, it, and the more you kind of read into this game, it, it feels like a really good test for Tennessee because you don't know what Iowa State team you're going to get. Uh, you know it's going to be a tough place to play, but you don't know which Iowa State is going to show up, the one that, that plays with Kansas and beats Baylor or the one that uh, barely beats Maryland Eastern Shore, and you never really know what uh, this Tennessee team is. You're going to get night in and night out. I mean, from the first half to the second half, you don't know what uh, this Tennessee team's going to be night in and night out. So it's a really good road test. This team's been good on the road, and yeah, it's uh, if they do lose, it's not the end of the world, obviously, because you're out of conference play, and, and it's just kind of a a fun little whatever kind of out of of conference Saturday where everybody gets to step back and and kind of judge themselves against another league. But uh, it's going to be a really, really good test and and a really interesting uh, to see what happens. I mean, Rick Barnes talks about all the time. He never wants to schedule the big 12 sec challenge until like two weeks before. So you can look at the standings and figure out who needs to play who and and go from there. Obviously that's not logistically possible, but I see. I, I think it would be though. If you did that and it was Iowa state, that would be a pretty good test for both sides.
1: I think all you do is every team in both leagues, you know reserves a block of hotel rooms for a visitor if they end up hosting a game. and then you know four SEC teams will have to play each other uh, because there's more teams obviously in the SEC than, than the big 12, which by the way doesn't have 12 teams and it's the dumbest thing ever. If, if you have a number, if you have a number in your conference, name, you need to have that number in the conference. That's just—I'm sorry. Maybe I'm a maybe I'm a stickler for common sense, but that—that's one thing. And the second thing, if you're Maryland Eastern Shore, uh, isn't the eastern part implied? Like Maryland wouldn't have a Western Shore. A Western Shore would be like California. I, I don't—I don't understand. It would seem like you could just call it Maryland Shore. It's a good point.
0: It's a I mean, good point.
1: I, I don't. I need to look this up. I'm going to, in just a minute, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up the, the geography of Maryland. And I've been there enough that I should know that. But I'm pretty sure there's not a western shore there. Unless I'm missing something uh, reading the map, I, I don't see a western shore there. But uh, Iowa State does have a couple of really good players. Uh, Lindell Wigginton, Donovan Jackson, both guys who shoot better than 42% from three-point range. And they score 16.2 and 15.5 points per game. Uh, Donovan Jackson, Nick Babb, and Cameron Lard, which is a great name. Cameron Lard. That's how I should say it, too. My name's Cameron Lard.
0: <laughs> really? Really put the emphasis on it?
1: Yeah, it's Lard. They, those guys both average more than a dozen points per game also, so there's not a lot of depth there for Iowa State, but uh, there, there are a couple of good players there, and that that's going to be uh, anything but a gimme for Tennessee because anyone who knows much about college basketball knows that, you know, Iowa State, they don't have a lot going on in Ames, iowa so they pack that house, and that's a tough place to go play, and – you know it's cold. You get off the bus, and it's just it's a different environment, and that that could be a tough game for
0: Tennessee. But they've been a pretty good road team throughout the season. So, I mean, it's a, it's a game where Tennessee could go in and, and win by twelve to fifteen and be in control for forty minutes, and I don't think anybody would be stunned. And it's a game where Tennessee could go in, struggle, and lose by ten, and I don't think anybody would be stunned.
1: No, and I don't think it would have a. A huge impact, like at Tennessee. Let's be real; Tennessee is not even on the bubble. Tennessee is firmly, <laughs> firmly in the field, probably a top four or five seed. Maybe uh, if the if the tournament, you know, with the selection was today, so uh, people need to slow their roll on the whole. Oh, they're playing for their lives. No, they'd have to lose a lot of games here to not be in the but tournament.
0: They've put themselves in a position with eleven games left. I was thinking about this after the Vanderbilt game. They're fourteen and five. They could, I think, they could realistically go six and five from here. And go into the SEC tournament at twenty and ten, and still be at worst an eight seed.
1: Yeah, they're they're in the field pretty much, unless they just completely completely fall on their face. Uh, but you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, this is Tennessee, and sometimes, as we all know, Tennessee will Tennessee. So you never quite know. But we'll get to our questions here at the end, as we always do. Uh, I say always do. We've done it once, and this is the second time. And now we're going to keep doing it every time. So we're starting. Once a new- is a
0: streak. Once is a streak. That's
1: true it's uh it, we're we're trying to extend the winning streak now to 2. We'll start off here with one of our uh, one of our favorite uh, longtime members on the board, Alderman Al uh, has a couple questions and he broke one of the cardinal rules guys, one question per post. One question per post. But he had four or or three of them and, and they're pretty good questions. Uh, his question first one, it appears to me the Vols have their most consistent offense. Uh, when they run Rick Barnes' offensive sets. They seem to break down when they start being in more of a freelance type of situation. Uh, Does Barnes prefer the set offense, and how does the the staff go about this? Second question is, uh, Barnes has had some of the best uh, offensive out-of-bounds sets that Tennessee's had in a while. How valuable is that for the team? And the third question is, uh, has Barnes considered a full-court zone press over the full-court man pressure? Grant, the floor is yours.
0: Uh, number one, if you if you could watch a, a Tennessee practice and watch the number of times Rick Barnes stops offensive oh God, plays yes. uh, to correct stuff that's gone wrong, no, he does not want them freelancing uh, at all, really. I mean, he wants them running their sets and running the action and getting looks off of that motion, uh, ball screens, cuts, the duck-ins, and all that stuff. Uh, when they do start freelancing, it feels like is when the, the ball gets thrown around the perimeter, and it gets really deep in a shot clock uh, when it shouldn't be deep in a shot clock. Uh, the third one, because I can't remember the second one right off the top of my head. The third one, no, I haven't heard anything about a zone press. that They want to play that 94 feet of man with the guards picking up full court. Uh, and I'll give you the second one.
1: Well, I I have heard Barnes on that third point. I have heard Barnes mention it once this season that they've thought about it. And that's something they could go to if they needed to. Uh, I think they have that that zone press. I think they have... Uh, it's not something they've run very much, but I think it's something they have in the pocket if they need to go to it. Either that or Rick Barnes is just messing with people in a press conference and saying that that they might have that. Uh, the second is Barnes' uh, out-of-bounds offensive sets, uh, and how valuable is that to Tennessee? And I'll answer that when I think it's incredibly valuable. Uh, I wouldn't put the Barnes' out-of-bounds plays quite on the same level of Bruce Pearl's because I think Pearl – is legitimately one of the best at any level of basketball. I think he gives his teams anywhere from like six to twelve points per game with those out of bounds plays. He's really, really good in those situations. But Barnes is really good in those situations too, and uh, he's gotten uh, you know a couple lob plays that have been really good uh, when he can draw them up. Uh, I think they've been really good in that area. I think that's that's definitely been a, been a strength for Tennessee.
0: And they and they do have lobs for Eve Ponds off of inbounds like they did for Kyle Alexander at South Carolina. And as much as we need to see it. Yeah, exactly. As much as Eve has, uh, as much as he does struggle on the offensive end, it does look like he's being directed uh, where to go a lot of times. uh, You know where to go on an inbound because somebody just told you where to go and and to go throw it up and and let him jump and get it because that kid is a freak.
1: Every time that he pulls up for a three pointer when he's in the layup line pregame, instead of throwing down a dunk or an alley oop, I get angry like a little bit. And I'm trying to chart in my head. He's done it at least five or six times this season, and I've thought, you're, every time you're making this worse, kid, you're just you're making me angry because the world needs to see. You need to get to a Tennessee game because this team has some serious high risers. Uh, this team's got a couple guys. Jalen Johnson's also an unbelievable dunker. Uh, that kid will will throw it behind his back between his legs, throw it off the backboard. Uh, he can do all kinds of crazy stuff out there. So Tennessee's layup line is usually something that you that you don't want to miss. And and to the last point on uh, on that first question, I I love watching him practice and watching, you know, when he, Rick Barnes has actually let us watch film a couple times with him and how specific he is about certain points on the floor. And for each guy, I mean, he will stop practice if if a guy is like eight inches away from where he should be because he believes in this system and he knows where the angles are and he will stop practice if a guy is just a foot in the wrong place. And that's why I think when they run their precision stuff like that and when the ball's pinging around like it does, uh, that's what they practice. And and that stuff's really, really, really impressive. Uh, Second question, uh, well, actually second set of questions, I guess. We'll go to Virtual Vol. Uh, He said, I started a prediction thread for the final 11 games and I did not get any mod feedback. Let's hear what you got. First off, Virtual Vol, we did not intend to – not answer your question on the board and we would probably get yelled at by our bosses if they knew that so thanks for snitching on us there but slash ryan yeah yeah oh yeah that's yeah that's you know dad dad would not would not like that but you know you looked at the schedule i think it's a more favorable schedule for tennessee down the stretch um, but i don't think this team's going to go nine and two or anything like that i think something like seven and four seems pretty reasonable
0: yeah i like seven and four uh eight and three would be a a pretty good mark i mean you got Ole Miss twice, uh, Mississippi State. You got Georgia twice. Uh, Florida at home that helps. Uh, they need to split with Georgia. They need to beat Ole Miss twice. Um, Ole, Miss beat, LSU Ole, Ole Miss beat
1: Bama there last night or Tuesday yeah, night. Yeah, Ole Miss
0: say. is it's not going to be a that's it's not going to be an easy road game. Um, but yeah, something like that seven eight wins I think would be a, a, a pretty good. Obviously, they could play above that because they've done so. Uh, if that if that was posted on the Hoopsville board and I missed it, uh, apologies. If it wasn't, uh, throw it on the Hoopsville board where it's it's basketball only and it's a lot easier uh, to get my attention because it's not uh, competing with all the football drama.
1: Drama? They're doing all right right now in recruiting. Actually, I think they're. Uh...
0: But yeah, there is drama because because there's there's always drama. But
1: yeah, that um you're talking about that old Miss game on the road. I-, I like Tennessee in those games now where you're playing a team that is more kind of a street brawler than, than a basketball team. You know, one of those real kind of physical teams that's been kind of a problem for Tennessee in the past. And I, I kind of like Tennessee in those situations now, because if you're going to get in kind of a backyard brawl with, with some of these guys, um, I you, you, and you have Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams and guys like Derek Walker on your team, uh, and Lamonte Turner, I I, I think Tennessee would be okay in those situations now.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, they have the options and, and yeah, it's, uh, I mean, they they've been through the meat of their schedule. Let's be honest. I mean, they still got to go to Rupp, obviously. But you get to uh, you get LSU and Ole Miss at home next week. Uh, two big SEC games at home. You need to win those. Uh, they go to Rupp, to Alabama, home to South Carolina, at Georgia, Florida at home, at Ole Miss, at Mississippi State, and Georgia. I think yeah, uh, seven to eight wins is, is is doable there. And uh, if they do that, they'll be they'll be in good shape.
1: Next question from B. Stancel said, I've enjoyed seeing Eve Ponds and Jalen Johnson get some minutes. Everyone can see the physical gifts. However, neither seems to be a threat whatsoever on the offensive end. Neither seems to look to score at all, or is that just me? Uh, if they're playing wing, they have to be more of a threat, either driving the ball or taking an outside shot, right? Can you guys discuss?
0: I mean, Jalen Johnson, the the point they've made to him is, is when you're on the floor, you're the fifth option. Uh, that's just... That's just I mean, it's it's not very <laughs> a nice thing to say, but when you're, when you're on the floor, you're the fifth option, his his jumper uh, has improved a lot, I think. Uh, I mean, we don't see it a ton, but based on what everybody says uh, within the program he's he's made a lot of uh, a lot of room in his jump shot. I think it's just a matter of uh, those guys being comfortable in the offensive end with Eve. Uh, when he gets the ball, he's trying to get rid of it as quickly as he can. He's not trying to shoot it unless it's a he's finishing a two hand dunk like he did at South Carolina after. He got that Lamonte Turner uh, missed layup in transition. So uh, it's going to be a long time before he's a, a factor on the offensive end, uh, just based on, on how he's still adapting to the game and trying to pick up all this stuff. But uh, for Jalen Johnson, yeah, it, it could happen at some point, but it's, it's going to be a long process because right now he's the fifth option.
1: Yeah, and I really, really like Jalen Johnson's offensive game. Uh, I think he's a guy who, in time, uh, if he remains patient, which, again, in this era with kids, you never know, but if he remains patient, I I like his upside a lot. Uh, I think he's got really nice touch. At 6'7", he can handle the ball. Uh, He can go jump over you. Uh, He can kind of hit those follow away jumpers. He's a good catch-and-shoot guy. He can create a little bit off the bounce. I think he just needs more confidence, but uh, I think he's got the ability to do it. And, and with Pons, I think you're seeing a guy who's going to be kind of a—he's uh, going to be a great defensive player. He's going to be great in transition. He's going to be a great rim protector on the wing. He can, he's a guy who can crash the glass from there and, and wreak some havoc. Uh, he'll take time on offense, but he works really, really hard. Uh, Rick Barnes isn't kidding when he says that. Uh, that kid does work really, really hard. I love watching him uh, go to work every day. I think he's a guy who who will leave Tennessee a really good basketball player. That's just...
0: And, and I mean, the reason that Jalen uh, redshirted last year because he was playing the same position as Robert Hubbs and Hubbs was going to play 30 minutes a night, and right now Jalen and Eve play the same position that Admiral Schofield plays and Admiral's going to play 25 to 27 minutes a night, so... That's also a factor is is they just have people in front of them and and like we were talking about earlier just because these guys aren't contributing as freshmen as a true freshman or as a redshirt freshman uh, there's no need to write these guys off these guys are going to be here for a while and they're going to keep keep developing their game and, and they'll be factors uh, at some point and, and play good basketball yeah example A uh, Alexander comma Kyle uh, so yeah t- and, and I mean Jalen Johnson was the highest player Rick Barnes has signed at Tennessee and then last year Eve Bonds became the highest rated player Tennessee signed at Tennessee so. Uh, bright futures for those guys, but they're just not—they're uh, not there right now. Uh, last question we'll get to from
1: the board. We'll—we'll we'll check Twitter to see if there's any there. But last question from the board is from a G Drennan two. Uh, kind of a comment slash question. He's one of those. Uh, I got two comments and a question. I'll hang up and and listen. Uh, he said two things happen that lead this team to making a deep run in the tournament, and what are those two things? I'll skip the easy answer and say Kyle Alexander continues his improvement and becomes more consistent over remaining games and Jordan Bone starts to play up to his potential. I'll answer that one first before tossing it to Grant. I think those two things – Uh, I think you got one of them right. Uh, I'm going to lump bone in there with the rest of the point guards and say the point guards are number one with a bullet. And number two is keeping teams off the offensive glass. Uh, If Tennessee's point guards play well and they don't let opponents get a second shot, uh, I think their first shot defense is good enough to to beat most teams. So those are my two things.
0: I agree with point guard play, but I'll expand it a little bit to say uh, all the backcourt. I mean, you're going to have to have big nights from Jordan Bowden and, uh, James Daniels going to, have to score his points and and do his assists on certain night. I mean, it's going to be kind of have to be a by committee thing. Uh, even if they do establish more of a a consistent kind of you know alpha alpha male role at point guard, they're they're going to have to they're going to have points from the backcourt on a more consistent basis, uh, regardless of who it's coming from, uh, night in night out. And yeah, I agree 100 uh, percent on rebounding. Uh, they got to be better rebounders on both ends of the floor. they can't give up a ton of offensive rebounds and expect to stick around because when they when they limit offensive rebounds is when they're playing their best basketball, and when they give them up is when they're playing their worst basketball.
1: Yeah, we, we spent more time with the ones on the board, as we're always going to do. We'll give a quick mention to the Twitter ones and do a bit of a lightning round here. Uh, Alex Ward, question on Twitter. Is the SEC now a top three basketball conference top to bottom? Uh, I think it is right now, but that's just my opinion.
0: Uh, yeah, SEC, ACC, and <clears throat> Big 12 probably.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, the, the Big Ten is really top-heavy, uh, kind of got that whole Dolly Parton top-heavy conference thing going on, but, you know, the, with a couple maybe Final Four teams there, but the, the depth of that league uh, is not necessarily great. Uh, someone asked how do they pick the ten teams to play uh, from the SEC that play the teams in the Big 12. Uh, they usually try to find good matchups in the preseason, and they go from there, uh, try to make sure that teams are getting to alternate going home and away. And uh, you can tell that they thought Iowa State was going to be better because – um, they put Iowa State against Tennessee, which is a uh, you know a pretty decent game if both teams are playing well, but kind of didn't work out that way. Plus, I think Tennessee was better than a lot of people thought it was going to be. Uh, not if they'd listened to the Go ball twenty four seven podcast, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, another quick one: uh, someone said, "Seems like Tennessee's had a lot of s- trouble scoring against the zone this year, or at least more trouble against the man. Uh, why is that, uh, Daniel?" I gotta disagree with you on that. I think Tennessee's zone offense is really really good.
0: Yeah, they, they I mean, they torched Kentucky in the second half when Kentucky went to that zone and for some reason stuck in that zone. I mean, that's that's the reason and in the in the way they won that basketball game.
1: Yeah, and Vandy in the at the end of the first half tried to go to a zone, and Tennessee just started licking its chops and just went on a big run to kind of, you know, I would say put that game out of reach, but obviously it didn't put it out of reach because Vandy came back in and made it close. So uh, let's see here. Uh, second question, this is from Adam. He says... Why does Tennessee struggle to guard the three-point line so much, uh, Adam? I don't think they do that much. I, I think that uh, where Tennessee gets beat is on the second shot three-pointers. Uh, the and those are the easiest. Th- those are the easiest shots. It seems like for opponents to get is kind of that scramble off the offensive rebound three-pointer. But Tennessee's first shot three-point defense, I think, is pretty decent.
0: Yeah, and and they talked a lot about last week. At least Rick Barnes did about getting better at ball screen defense. Uh, I think if, if you do that, then your, your first shot defense gets that much better. But, yeah, I agree on the, the second shot stuff. I mean, uh, Auburn hit a lot of threes because they had a lot of offensive rebounds. And, and when you're kicking out, that guy standing at the three-point line is is stepping into the shot-in rhythm and knocking it down. So I think uh, that goes back to the, the offensive rebounding stuff we've been talking about. Uh,
1: last question we'll get to is also from Adam. Uh, it's Till Daddy on, on Twitter. Uh, he says, how important is it for Grant Williams to develop a jumper and be able to stretch the floor? Uh, Seems like he has a good free throw stroke, good fall through, etc. looks like he could be a decent shooter, but he seems to be afraid to take them. Adam, I don't think he's afraid to take them. I think Rick Barnes does not love it when he takes them. I think if you left Grant to his own devices, he would shoot more three-pointers. And I think he's actually a pretty good perimeter shooter, but uh, the fact is he's a pretty good perimeter shooter. He's an absolutely lethal presence inside the paint. So... Uh, they want him to catch the ball deep because he's a much better. Uh, he, he's just—it's almost kind of an automatic two points if he catches the ball inside the paint. So uh, that's what I—I I think there. And feel free to disagree, Grant. But I think he's actually a, a pretty good three-point shooter. But he's much better inside.
0: Yeah, he is. And, and that three-point shot he always looks for is—is is that one at the top of the key where the Chisholm, the Wayne Chisholm shot. Yeah, he's trailing the point guard and, and he's able to step into that shot. And, and yeah, I think he is a good perimeter shooter. But yeah, right now at the point of the career, he's in. Uh, he's still a young guy. He's still going to develop uh, and go to what he's best at, which is which is the post moves and getting defenders in the air and getting clean looks at the rim. But as he progresses, as his game develops, I mean, he's going to be here uh, for another year at least. Uh, he's going to have a little bit more freedom to do stuff like that, and, and the more he can pull defenders out and, and kind of test them with the mid-range stuff, I um, mean, if they don't respect that, shoot over them. If they start respecting that too much, you know, go back to work on the block. The more stuff he can add to his – his tool belt, uh, the better because he is an undersized forward. Uh, even if the NBA is going toward a little bit more of a small ball uh, lineup, one through five. All right. The last question
1: comes from West Rucker 24/7 on Twitter, and it's directed to Grant Ramey specifically. Grant, how how much how forward how excited are you uh, about going to Ames, Iowa over the weekend? Because I'm sorry that I won't be able to join you, but uh, it looks like you're you're going to have quite the weekend. And uh, the I don't know what Ames. Uh, it's actually its motto is the smart choice. So Grant, you're making the smart choice this weekend. <laughs> it's uh,
0: it's been on my bucket list for a while. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Paris, was, it was,
1: London. You
0: know. It was the Maui Invitational, and then uh, basketball at Iowa State. So, uh, luckily, marked off the first one uh, last season. And the Big Twelve helped me out with an assist on this one. And and wouldn't you know it, Ames, Iowa. Here I come. Yeah, Hawaii. W- w- you know, uh, you know, uh, London. Yeah.
1: Athens really want to see the the Parthenon and all that stuff in Rome and you know there's Athens, all Georgia yeah true Stegman Na- Coliseum yeah Nashville Iowa you know just all, all these uh, or all, all these great 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 places or actually it's Nashville Illinois uh, the place that we go through when we go to Columbia every year so uh, Grant uh, enjoy the the trip this weekend I'll be uh, following that one from TV so you're flying solo on that one good luck with that and uh, I guess we'll be talking to you next week
0: see you buddy see you buddy.
1: That was Grant Ramey and I talking a little Tennessee basketball. Thanks for listening, guys. We will be back, obviously, Friday morning with our weekly Friday morning football podcast. Not sure exactly who's going to be on it yet, but I know that I'll be on here because I'm the one who can push the buttons and stuff. Not sure the rest of these idiots can do that, but a few of those idiots will be in here with me for the Friday podcast it'll be some combination of Ryan Callahan Patrick Brown Danny Parker we'll have a lot to talk about with Tennessee football recruiting Tennessee football doing a lot of good things there on the recruiting trail looks like the Vols might be landing a couple of big fish under first year coach Jeremy Pruitt we'll obviously have some team news the Juwan Jennings saga continues is Tennessee looking at another quarterback to bring in we'll talk about that a little bit too we got a lot to talk about as always because you know this is, this is Tennessee. Football always happens. There's always something going on, and we will be back with you Friday morning to bring you the latest.